Welcome to One More Thing Before You Go. In this episode, we're going to learn what it takes to survive in stand-up comedy if you are young and motivated. We're going to have a conversation with one of the youngest comedians on the circuit in the South. His journey, beginning before he even got out of high school, his struggles and his triumphs, and what it takes to be in this tough business of making people laugh. And what has the COVID pandemic done for people like him? I'm your host, Michael Hurst, and this is That Thing About Being a Young Comedian in the South. My guest today is Jacob Craig, is a podcast host, a stand-up comedian from the Mississippi Gulf Coast, and started comedy at the ripe age of 17 in his whole adult life, now at 20. He's currently one of the youngest headlining comedians in the United States. He's headlined shows in Florida, Mississippi, Alabama, and cemented himself as a favorite of New Orleans. Welcome to the show, Jacob. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So as you told me, you've been doing comedy your whole adult life. Let's talk about your journey a little bit. Tell me a little bit about yourself. Yeah. So I first got into comedy basically because uh, my older brother's a musician. So he made a lot of friends on the music scene, which is huge in in the Southern South. Uh, Southern South. I'm already off to a great start, just spitting out so many oxymorons. But the music scene's huge around here. So uh, he had a, com- uh, a musician friend who said, you know, I'm throwing this birthday party and I'm a huge comedy fan and I'm looking for some comedians if you know anybody. And at this time, I had been writing jokes since I was pretty much 14 years old, just sitting in a high school classroom, using it as an excuse to not pay attention. So I had this huge backlog of material that I never thought I would even do anything with, because I never thought that I would even get on a stage. I was going to ask you, what. so what makes, what makes somebody at 14, 15, 16, 17 years old uh, to want to join one of the toughest entertainment professions in the world? You know, that's a really good question. Uh, I get asked that a lot. And The answer changes a lot, too, because it's just there are so many contributing factors. I I think a lot of it has to do with just my personality. Like, I I love making people laugh. It's the the purest form of joy you can ever give to someone is to, to make them laugh. And I mean, there's also, you know, trauma as well has a lot to do with it. Everyone copes with, you know, life's challenges in different ways. And, and my way was comedy. What what got you, I mean, essentially kind of what got you interested in, in comedy? Was it uh, anybody in particular? Did you, I know you want to make people laugh, but did you have any influences that maybe kind of turned your life? Like, I really want to do that. You know, I, I, there, there have been a lot of comedians since the beginning. Uh, I remember my 12th birthday, uh, my parents let me watch a Kings of Comedy DVD that that I didn't even want to watch. They just kind of put it in the DVD player. And I saw Bernie Mac and Steve Harvey and D.L. Hughley. And so that was a big thing. I mean, I really paid attention to that. And I was like, hey, you know, that's that's something that I could probably do because they're essentially just telling stories and, and making it funny. And George Carlin as well, I think, is an influence for every comedian in the world. Well, especially at your age, George Carlin. That's George Carlin's my era, right? So that's yeah, that's kind of impressive that uh, you're you're listening to George. What about people like Jim Carrey or um, anybody like that from that time period? Did they, did, did that have any influence on you? Uh, not me personally, really, because I never paid too much attention to sort of comedian actors or, or sketch comedy actors and Jim Carrey did do stand up but you'd be hard pressed to find a good you know Jim Carrey stand up to DVD anywhere 
What about Robin Williams or anybody like that? You know, I did love Robin Williams. I, I discovered Robin Williams probably a couple years before he died. Uh, I watched his, uh, I forgot the name of it. It might be Weapons of Mass Destruction or something like that, or uh, Self-Destruction. And that, that's just one of the best stand-up specials I've ever seen in my whole life. Yeah, I'd want, uh, Robin Williams is probably my favorite, most favorite comedian, is Robin Williams. I I have enjoyed him his whole career, actually. And it was kind of a shame when we lost him, especially for why we lost him, too. Do you think that um, that um, you said you started touring when you were 17 years old? That was aside from the birthday parties, correct? <laughs> right, yeah. Uh, it was more around um, 18 or 19 where I really started touring. Like, I mean, I was doing spots uh, over in Alabama, which is touring for me because I live in Mississippi and it's a good couple hour drive. But uh, I started really getting, you know, traveling spots when I was around 19, like people putting me up in hotels and giving me more money than I probably deserve <laughs> to be where I am. Well, so I was going to ask you, when you showed up as a 17 year old, did they take you seriously? No, absolutely not. I mean, I still have a problem with that now with people taking me seriously at 20 because, you know, you walk in and you, you see this young, fresh faced kid, essentially. And you don't think, oh, well, that guy's a legitimate comedian. I'm going to respect him as soon as he walks in the door. So with every set, I mean, I, I kind of go in with a little chip on my shoulder and say, well, I have to impress my peers every single time. What was your first gig? So my first gig that I really got paid for, I uh, I frequented this open mic in Biloxi, Mississippi. And I made friends with the owner. And he had uh, a headlining comedian come through from New Orleans, who I met and made friends with. And that's how I get most of my spots in New Orleans now. And he said, you know, I need uh, a feature. I need you to do about 25 minutes, which at the time I was only doing open mics. So I had to write new material to get to 25 minutes, which is insane now because I have, you know, around an hour I'm, I'm working on more material now too and so i did the set and it went well and i made connections and as i was about to go home he just handed me a check and i was like wait what is this like he didn't tell me i was going to get paid he's like yeah you did a good job uh, we had some extra money in the cash register so here you go and at that moment i was just like i'm a professional comedian now it's gonna be a great feeling what kind of an audience did you play to? You know, it was uh, it was at a nerd bar, actually. So it was right up my alley. I'm going to so ask could... you a strange question. What's a nerd bar? So a nerd bar is essentially you go to this bar and they sell beer and you can rent out board games to play. Uh, as you over drinks, you can play a board game. And you can also, they have like a retro gaming system hooked up to this giant projector. And there's, you know, Game of Thrones memorabilia all around the room. So it, it was a really cool atmosphere and I could really let loose and be myself because I'm a huge nerd. So I could kind of use some material I wouldn't be able to use in a regular room because I knew these people were going to get it. So uh, I could say, you know, some superhero jokes and Game of Thrones jokes and it would kill. That's kind of cool. That's yeah, that's cool. I kind of I kind of stopped you mid sentence a minute ago. Do you remember what you were saying? No, I don't. I have a horrible memory for being 20 years old. I, well, it's it's all that time on the road, and then it is, yeah. <laughs> trust, yeah, yes, I understand. So I'm going to ask you another kind of a kind of a bizarre question, just because I I'm from Colorado actually. So 
in Colorado and like in, I live in Arizona now, so Colorado and Arizona, you have to be 21 to get into a bar and drink. So is that the same thing in the South? Do you have to be 21? And if you do, um, how do they let, how do you let a 20 year old in to come and play? Yeah, you do have to be 21. Uh, what I do is I lie and I make friends. And so I lie to get into bars and then I make friends with the bartenders and the owners. And then they'll say, no, that's Jacob. Jacob's cool. He's not going to come and try to order a drink because I don't drink anyways. So, I mean, I'm going to come in and order a Diet Coke and, and do my set. So they, they kind of know that. And it's essentially just about being as friendly as you can be when you're when you're in that position. Well, hopefully I didn't divulge a secret. We can oh, I, I hope you did divulge a secret. I mean, if you're 18 years old and you want to get into comedy, don't try to order a drink and make friends with everyone at the bar you can. Well, how how has your act changed from from when you were 17 until now? Well, it's definitely gotten significantly better. Uh, we, I obviously, as a 17-year-old, my first set, I did 10 minutes, and I froze right in the middle of it, and everyone just kind of had to bear with me. And now I can kind of rapid-fire an hour of material. And it's it's definitely gotten a lot darker. As I've matured a little bit, it's not as kitty i guess like it's gotten you know slightly offensive not not anything that'll you know get me in trouble or anything but kind of something that'll make you go oh i shouldn't laugh at that so so you so basically you went from from more of a juvenile-ish type gig to more of an adult themed right yeah and and it's still kind of you look at my face and everything and you look at what i'm saying that kind of adds to the laughter a little bit because you wouldn't expect that to come out of my mouth. I would imagine that. My wife is a huge stand-up fan. She watches every stand-up special that's on TV, everything that comes out. We go to the comedy clubs here all the time. She's just a huge fan. So um, I'm supposed to give you a shout-out from my wife because she is impressed the fact that you started at 17 and you're still in the business. Wow, thank you. That is that is actually very high praise. Your wife sounds like a very smart lady. You You picked well. Yes, and I will agree with being smart because I sleep next to her. <laughs> so earlier we were talking about um, some things you weren't supposed to talk about. So how has the environment today influenced your act? Well, you know, there are definitely a lot of things that you want to shy away from, like not because you can't say it and you can't joke about it, but just because it's not worth it. Because if it offends even one person in the room, that's one apology you have to give. And you, you never want to offend someone to the point where you have to go and apologize to them and tell them like, dude, this is this is an act. I don't mean that. When I'm on stage, it's somewhat of a character. Like I, I, I really, you know, don't mean anything by it. And so you want to kind of, you. it's really hard to find the line. The line is very blurred, but you have to find the line. Like you cannot in this climate, joke about something that you're not supposed to joke about because it could just ruin your career. Have you have you learned to deal with hecklers? Have you had any hecklers? Yeah, I get a heckler at almost every show. I think that has to do with you know being young and looking how I look. I'm, I look young. I'm, I'm a little flabby. It's kind of unsuspecting, you know. I, I walk into a room and no one's going to be too scared. So I, I get a lot of hecklers who think that I'm, I'm not going to know how to deal with them or how to clap them back. But I actually, uh, 
formed and booked the first ever roast battle on the uh, Mississippi Gulf Coast because I loved roast comedy. So that's how I got to deal with hecklers is I just I pick out some some kind of something about their appearance and roast them about it. And then usually they'll shut up after that and be like, oh, I, I didn't expect that. Outstanding. Oh. Especially probably thought they could intimidate the young guy. Intimidate yeah. the young guy. I get a lot of that, too, uh, from, you know, sleezes and bars all over the southern U.S. Well, in my old profession, um, I dealt with... Uh, I dealt with those sleazes in the bars all the time, so I understand. So, well right. done. What's it like to be on the road? You know, it's hard. Uh, I think every comedian will tell you it's hard. As much as it's every comedian's goal to get on the road, because if, if you get on the road, that's where you get discovered. That's where you get in a room where it just so happens that some executive is there, thought, you know, I'll go out and enjoy some comedy, and then they see, oh, well, you know, this guy's good. Maybe I'll make a call. So that's that's really how you get further in the entertainment industry. You can't do it by staying in the same spot. But it is extremely hard going from, you know, cheap meals to essentially living out of a car for hours until you get to a hotel. And then you get to a hotel and you want to keep everything in one spot because you don't want to forget anything. You can't really make yourself at home. You know, you miss your family. You know, I, I miss my girlfriend. Uh, I, I go to comedy clubs where there's women who think that they can just hit on me. And I'm like, no, I have a girlfriend. Please go away. And they don't you know, listen. <laughs> so, I mean, that's pretty hard to explain to my girlfriend. Like, hey, I had two women twerk on me at a comedy club today. So mm -hmm. I, I really hope you're not mad because I didn't want that to happen. Well, it's, it's I think anybody, my daughter's an actor, which is different than a comedian, but is still in the entertainment industry. And they all have a little bit of that throughout the entertainment industry. If you're there to perform and you're there to be up on stage and to be in in the presence of, you're always going to have something like that take place. So hopefully your girlfriend's understanding and caring and uh, can uh, kind of see that, oversee that a little bit. Yeah, I mean, she supports me the, the best that she can. She, she hates it when I go on the road, as I think most comedy girlfriends do. But I, I've explained it to her before that I can't stay in one spot because it's just going in a circle and spinning my wheels and the money's not good locally anywhere. You have to travel and be paid as a traveling act to make any form of money. So you making a living? Uh, you know, I was before the pandemic, uh, but the pandemic came along and it kind of ruined everything, you know. I, oh, I can't. I was going to ask you how the... How the the COVID and the pandemic stuff has affected your, your industry and you in particular. Yeah, greatly, greatly. I mean, it, it literally, I really feel like if the pandemic hadn't happened, I would be a lot further along than I am now because even, you know, traveling and headlining, I've stayed in, in the South. I haven't gone out of the South because for whatever reason, you know, it's just, it's too far to, you know, you know how it is. And mm -hmm. it's, it's affected me greatly because I can't travel anymore. I can barely leave the house anymore. I, I don't even go to the local open mics anymore because even though in Mississippi the bars are open, it's a horrible idea for the bars to be open. So I don't want to go in there and get my family sick because I, I'm at risk. I'm diabetic. And my dad is double at risk because he's over 50 and he's diabetic. 
So I don't want to bring it home to him and that, you know, affect his health greatly. And it's, I had a lot of local shows before the pandemic. I, I hosted my own open mic. I was doing spots every weekend. I had chances to go travel to other scenes. And then the pandemic comes along and all of that gets washed away. Yeah, this it really has affected um, so many industries across the board, but the entertainment industry has been impacted, hugely impacted all the way around. Both my, I have two kids that are actually my, my daughter, our daughter, and um, her husband are both in the entertainment industry and had, they haven't worked. And um, they finally did do a job and the steps that were taken in order for them to accomplish that job were just immense. They bust everybody into a hotel. Uh, this is a little off track from the comedy part, but the COVID in the entertainment industry, uh, this is you know part of it, but they had to bust them in. And then once they got to the hotel, everybody was sequestered, including my daughter and her husband. They had to have separate rooms, even though they were married. And then they brought them all down to the lobby at different times to get uh, tested for COVID with the instant testing. And then once they were cleared, they were sent back up and then all the meals were brought to them and they had no contact with anybody until they were ready to shoot. And then when they got ready to shoot, then only the people within that scene in that particular area were then brought down, put into it and then put back up in the hotel room. It crazy, crazy amount. So it just, it, it was an introduction back into the, in producing, you know, producing a program, but it, it, the process has changed just so much. So in stand-up comedy, as, as you know, and I, like I told you earlier, my wife and I go to a lot of stand-up comedy. Um, you need an audience. Right. You do need an audience. And I mean, that's the problem with a lot of online shows right now, because if you don't have there are a lot of professional comedians who have the capital and the resources and the audience to do a Zoom room where they can cycle through about 50 different faces or 100 different faces for comedians to perform for. So whenever they do a punchline, they can see the reaction. So if you don't do if you do a punchline and you don't see the reaction, then you have no idea what you should do with the rest of your set, even because if that punchline goes over horribly. And then you just keep hammering in on that kind of joke. You're going to have a horrible set and not even know it because you're online and you're performing in front of a bunch of other comedians who are muted so that they don't say anything stupid to you. Or positive or laugh or react in a positive or a negative way. Yeah, I can understand that. That's got to be very difficult for you. Right. Yeah. I mean, I've done a couple online gigs. I have a a couple of them coming up as well, but they're they're so difficult to pull off, especially on zoom where it's very unformatted and you, and you see all the comedians all at once, but only one of them is talking and performing. So you're kind of just seeing blank faces that, you know, are people that are going to make you laugh at a later time. It's, it, it kind of pulls the curtain back from comedy. You get a little peek into the online dream room, if you will. Yeah. We watched um, something recently. My wife actually really liked it. I, I wasn't that impressed with it, but basically it was a, it was a, um, it was a con, not really not a contest. Um, we watched a thing called Tournament of Laughs and that was all done online and they all did their gigs from home and some of them worked really well and other ones just fell flat. And these were comedians that were 
that are, we've seen them before in the past, they were funny, but they just fell flat in doing what they were doing. So it was very kind of difficult. Have you ever considered, speaking of Tournament of Laughs or something like AGT, have you ever tried to move your career in that direction? Absolutely, yeah. So I did a show that I headlined in Panama City, Florida. I got bumped up to headliner and got that kind of headliner pay because the original headliner, his name was Benjamin Brainerd. I don't know if he's gotten any airtime on this season. He might have been one of the acts that they just cut out, but he got on AGT and he advanced past the audition. So, it, which is weird because you know I I know for a fact that he got on AGT, advanced past the auditions, but I, I he's not on the show. I haven't seen him on the show, and we're already past the part where he would have you know gone home. So whenever I thought about that, I thought, well, he was the headliner and now I'm the headliner and he's on AGT. So why can't I be on AGT? So I, I submitted uh, to, you know, a video to try to get on there for the next season. And uh, I mean, we'll see. I, I don't expect anything, but if it happens, I'll definitely make the most of it. Hey, the first step to failure is the one you never take. Right. Exactly. You know, you got to move forward. If you want to move forward, you got to move forward. Where, where you said you play mostly in the South, correct? So how many times a week were you playing? Uh, you know, it got to the point where I was doing comedy maybe four to five times a week. That's a lot of material. Yeah, it is. That's why you have to do different rooms and different shows, you know, because I, I had at that time about three different solid sets I could do. And I could do those, uh, you know, all in one week. But the if I perform at a bar I've never been to before, I can go back to what I know best you know, the reason I'm getting paid in the first place, I know this is funny, as opposed to if I just do an open mic and they, you know, chances are most people in the room have heard that material because I practice there. I, I need to, you know, write some some new stuff. Do you, have you ever been to a place where, let's say you, if, if you go back to the to it, you keep playing in New Orleans. So when you play at the place in New Orleans, do you rotate your material or do, do you do the same thing every week? You know, you you definitely can do the same thing, specifically in New Orleans. So in Mississippi, where I am, the comedy scene is extremely small. Like, that's why I've gotten to where I am now at such a young age, because the scene here is so small that there was a spot for me to just kind of grow into very quickly. But in New Orleans, the comedy scene is very dense, and you can do the same spot two nights in a row and have two completely different audiences because there's just so many people who want to see comedy who seek it out. As here, it's like pulling teeth to get people to come to a comedy show. It's like, please, let us make you laugh. Just come to this room. Uh, so, I mean, I, you definitely can do the same sets. I personally rotate material because I get bored very easily and I want to practice, you know, different jokes that I have. Where do you get your material? You know, I get that question a lot. I don't know, man. I think I might just be a sick human being. I just, I randomly think up, uh, you know, jokes from, I don't know, watching the TV or looking at the news. Maybe I'm just grocery shopping and I randomly think of something that I think is funny. And that's where my best jokes come from. I just pull them out of the air. and I have no idea where where I got it. Do you keep a little notebook so that every time you come up with something, you write it down? Yes, I have. Uh, I'm a bit of a notebook collector at this point. Uh, I am a, a notebook enthusiast. I like a good notebook. I have 
three full notebooks right now. Uh, and they're definitely growing. And I also have a lot of jokes backed up on my phone and in the cloud because I have a horrible memory and I don't want to forget and lose good material that I could be using. So what happens if you're in the middle of a, a gig, for example, and um, you kind of get a little stage fright and you stop? How do you pick up? Well, you know, there's two ways to do it. You can either acknowledge it or you can not acknowledge it. So if you don't acknowledge it, that's sort of the public speaking right way to do it. Because in public speaking, if you pause, you, you're supposed to be confident and act like the, the pause is meant to be there and then just continue. But in comedy, if you forget entirely what you're saying and you're in a room full of people that you've already made laugh and you want to keep making laugh, you can just say, yeah, I'm an idiot. I forgot what I was saying. Let me look at my notes real quick. And it'll usually get a laugh and people will bear with you and they'll understand that, you know, this guy's only human. And uh, I, I mean, he's making us laugh. So he's doing his job well. That's funny. What do you, what do, you do for a living other than comedy? So like in this environment, especially. Right. So I had to get a little minimum wage job to, you know, just on the interim because I was hoping the comedy would come back pretty quickly. And it's it's just not it's not going to. So I got a job at Pizza Hut. I was cutting and cooking pizzas. And at the store I worked at, four different people were COVID positive. And they were cool. Yeah, they refused to shut the store down to clean it. And I was one of only two employees who could come to work. So I said, no, I'm not doing that. I, I don't care if I need the money. I'm not going to get my family sick. So I quit that job and uh, I start school next week. Uh, I'm, go I'm going for my bachelor's degree in English. Uh, I want to be an English teacher. And uh, so aside from that, I think I'm going to start school and then look for something online where I can do something like this where, you know, maybe talk to a client or something like that. So but basically, I'm unemployed. <laughs> well, hopefully you'll be able to get something soon and fill that in. And like we're all hoping, the um, the society will start opening up in a very safe manner pretty soon so that we can all get back to life. Um, I don't think it's ever going to go back to the way it was normally. I don't think it's ever going to go back to the way it was. But we can go back to something that's more uh, manageable, more positive, and everybody can kind of move forward with their lives. Um, right. I mean, especially here in Mississippi, like that's not going to happen for a while because we just did sort of a soft closing, I guess. Like the, the casinos never shut down. Really? Ever. Because here on the Gulf Coast, all almost exclusively all of our funds come from the casinos. Yes, wow. The casinos draw in so much money for us. So the government refuses to shut those down because then that's cutting off money. That's cutting off tourism from people who during a pandemic will still go to the casinos isn't that amazing <laughs> yeah it's amazing it's amazing what dollar signs can do to people when it comes to saving lives you know i could die but i could also win a million dollars so you know yeah i could die but i could lose a grand at the roulette table so crazy. i wonder which one i'm gonna do <laughs> crazy yeah well, can do you feel comfortable with giving me a little bit of your uh a little bit of your personality? Yeah, man. I mean, uh, I don't know what you mean, but I'll, I'll definitely give you a little bit of my personality. Just give me just give me a little bit of a, just give me a taste of what you do up on stage. Okay, you want a taste of what you do, what I do on stage? So, you know, when I was a kid a couple of years ago, I used to love going shopping with my mom, as I'm sure a lot of you loved going shopping with my mom. And whenever I went shopping with my mom, 
of course, I pushed the buggy. I'm mommy's little strong man. That's my job. But it just so happened I was dumb even for an eight-year-old. So she would tell me to stay with the buggy. And stay with the buggy means stay with the buggy at all costs. Stay with the buggy no matter what. Go down with the buggy like a captain goes down with his ship. So there was one time she told me to stay with the buggy and she stationed me in front of the adult diapers which is a safe place to station me because I've never been able to effectively catch anyone buying adult diapers. But this was the time I found a unicorn. And so this old lady just comes up behind me and she starts coughing and clearing her throat and she wants me to move. And, you know, today that's enough to kill someone and take their toilet paper over. But this was not those times. So I ducked into the nearest aisle and pretended to look at tampons, even though I'm more of a pad girl myself. And I, I looked over at this old lady and I accidentally made eye contact with her as she chunked antifungal vaginal cream right into her buggy and then just waddled away into the distance, never to be seen again because of the fun. And this happened three months ago, by the way. I was still a 20-year-old man shopping with his mommy. Well done. <laughs> well done. I should have had my wife in here to listen to that. <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, that's like the, from the new five minutes that I do. Uh, I mean, it's a little more surreal and not hammered out yet, but that was just, that's just what came to mind first. That's good. I'm impressed. What's your next move? Uh, you know, my next move is I'm really trying to get into online shows more because I feel like that's what's going to be happening for at least the next year. So I have an online open mic coming up and I have a show on September 16th where I go to a bar that's empty and closed. And the only people that are there are the people that need, uh, that are needed to film me. And they're going to like cater for me and give me free food and free drinks and everything. And I just do my set in this bar and they're going to live stream it on Facebook. So I want to do more stuff like that. Uh, obviously, I mean, I'm kind of relaxed off of comedy a little bit because I just can't do it as much. So uh, I'm really focused on getting my degree and trying to help people as an English teacher, try to, you know, give back to the next generation and guide people through doing what I'm doing now, trying to go to college while also, you know, you need to work and have obligations and you have dreams. And I, I just kind of want to help people get through that as well. What kind of advice would you give uh, somebody that's just kind of coming into the uh, com comedy circuit you know my advice would be to not go in head first like i did so when you before you start comedy you want to understand the environment you want to understand what it's about you want to understand the room that you're going to go up in and you want to understand the local scene that you're on so what you need to do is you need to go to a local open mic and plan on going up and doing comedy the next week and you just go and you watch and you see what to do and what not to do you talk to other comedians and you make friends and you tell them, hey, I think I'm going to go up next week. You know, what advice would you give me, blah, blah, blah. And you're never going to meet someone who's going to tell you it's a bad idea. You're never going to meet someone who's going to tell you, no, you shouldn't do comedy. You know, you're never going to meet someone that's like, no, this is my scene. There's not room for you here. It's just not that kind of environment. So just go watch, have a tight five minutes of material written before you go up. You don't even necessarily have to have it memorized if you're good at, you know, looking at notes and then looking back at the audience and just really plan your moves before you just jump right into it with no other recourse. What? How do you book your stuff? Do you seek it out? Do you look for advertisements? How do you 
How do you get into that? How do you get somebody to uh, bring you in? Do you have to audition for them? Uh, no, I mean, I've, I've never really... Well, I, I have done a couple auditions, but those those kind of gigs usually don't last long because if you audition for someone, then that means they have other people auditioning for them. So even if you get a spot for them, someone else will get a spot next time because you already did it. Uh, I had a booker for a little while, uh, he, but he was also a comedian and he moved to Colorado right before the pandemic hit. So obviously he's gone. Like we're not even in the same area anymore. So, yeah, I mean, I, I personally just kind of try to reach out to the connections that I have, make friends with people that I know run shows, and then I impress them by making sure they see me do a, a free spot, an, an open mic, give them just a little taste of what I do, so that way they know what they're paying for, and then ask them, like, hey, man, do you have, like, a, you know, a little spot you can give me? And, you know, a little spot will almost inevitably go to a bigger spot that works you have a podcast can you tell me about it yeah so my podcast is called open micers and uh like the name suggests it's hosted by my friend uh me and my friend jason robbins who is an open mic comedian i don't fancy myself an open mic comedian even though i i do do open mics but i mean i i call i'll call myself an open micer i don't care and we talk to people who are exclusively in the entertainment industry. So we talk to other comedians, obviously, from any level of the game. We'll talk to someone who's only done comedy once, or we'll talk to Jerry Seinfeld. It doesn't matter. And we talk to actors, we talk to podcasters, and it's we, we try to, you know, look at the man behind the curtain, if you will, of the entertainment industry. We talk about times we've been screwed over and we, we talk about times that are good as well and uh, i mean hey listen to it you i mean you you might you might laugh at it you might not who knows it is but it's just well about life on the road life in my comedy life and entertainment so where can they find that yeah so you can find us uh at open micers podcast on all platforms you can find us there on facebook and twitter or you can email us at open podcast at gmail.com if you have any you know, if you want to talk to me or if you want to have questions about the podcast, if you want to come on the podcast, just email us. And we're also on Patreon as OM Podcast. If you want to, you know, throw us like three bucks a month and get super cool behind the scenes uh, content that I throw out there without permission from my partner because I'm I'm just bored and he doesn't like that I give away so much. But you're going to get some stuff. So I will have links to all of those things in the show notes for you so that everybody can see where you're going to be and where are you performing next? You said earlier that you were going to do an online thing. Yeah. So I'm doing an online live show September 16th. It's going to be on the, I think, Foxy Records Facebook page or something like that. They live stream it from their Facebook page. And that's the, the next, you know, actual gig that, that I that I have going on. Cool. Any last words of wisdom that you want to pass on? Yes. Always make sure there's toilet paper before you leave. That's some really good advice. Jacob, thank you for sharing your journey with me and with our audience. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. I appreciate you, my friend. Hey, and a quick note with regard to a little bit of format change for the next couple of weeks. This week, there will be two episodes because on Thursday, I'm going to be releasing a trilogy of episodes that are all related. So for these two weeks, starting this week into the next week, there will be two episodes a week released to accomplish that. 
Starting Thursday, we'll talk to Debbie Anderson, that thing about seeing dead people, and then the subsequent two episodes to be released the following week are going to be that thing about talking to angels and that thing about the demon that followed me home. So please look for that. Hope you enjoy them. Have a great day. This is a reminder. Our election is coming up for 2020. We are closing in on November and your vote counts. Please vote early. Ensure that your vote gets counted. If you vote in person, be careful. Take precautions, but vote. Our country and the soul of our democracy depends upon it. Thanks for listening to this episode of One More Thing Before You Go, a unique conversation about life. If you like our show and want to know more, check out our website at beforeyougopodcast.com. That's beforeyougopodcast.com. Tell your story, share your expertise, contribute to the blog, and subscribe to the newsletter. You can find us as well as subscribe to the program and rate us on your favorite podcast listening platform. And one more thing before you go, have a nice day, have a nice week, and thanks for listening. One More Thing Before You Go, a unique conversation about life podcast, is a creation of One More Thing Productions, established 2010, all rights reserved.